Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for the year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like Are you an overbuyer or underbuyer? A morning person or night person? Abundance lover or simplicity lover. And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast. Available now, free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Icons, did you ever watch True Blood? I was obsessed. I thought the men on that show, Alexander Skarsgård, Ryan Quanton, I was in love with him when that show was airing. And I thought it was just so good. And so that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the new season of the Truest Blood podcast. The Truest Blood podcast is fantastic. If you haven't listened before, it's hosts Kristen Bauer and Deborah Ann Wall, who rewatch and tell true stories from the sets of HBO's iconic series, True Blood. They discuss the episodes, the blood, both fake and real, and all the sexy bites in between. And this season of the podcast, they cover seasons three and four of True Blood, uh, where there's more werewolves, witches, and vampire royalty on the show. Plus, they have really great people who worked behind the scenes of the show coming on and talking about the show. Lots of that to come. I think we're all pop culture junkies here. And one of the things that I love about pop culture is seeing how the sausage is made. And so I think that's why we're all going to be so excited to listen to the Truest Blood podcast. So check it out. uh, And also check out the show True Blood. Watch all episodes of True Blood on Max and listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, welcome to Everything Iconic. I'm Danny Pellegrino, and I have a great show ahead for you. I'm going to be chatting with Ramin Satuta, who's the author of the brand new book, Ladies Who Punch. This book just came out this week, and it is phenomenal. I cannot recommend it enough. It's all about the view which is one of my favorite talk shows. I've been a fan of The View since the beginning. I really became a super fan during Rosie's first tenure, and I still watch it every day. I watch it every day before bed. It relaxes me. It calms me down. They put the new episodes up on Hulu every day. And something about Joy's voice really calms my nerves and makes me feel good. It's like Housewives. I don't know what it is, but the women of The View really calm me down and make me feel good. And so... When I found out that this book was happening, I reached out to the author right away because I was so, so excited about it. He was kind enough to agree to do the show or one of the first stops on his press tour, the very first podcast he's doing about this book. And 
he gave me so much good scoop, so much good tea. But again, I cannot recommend reading the book enough because there are so many things that we didn't even get to in our chat that you will be surprised about. I mean, I was clutching my pearls, clutching my imaginary pearls as I was reading this book. I just found it thrilling. So I'm super excited for you guys to hear my chat with him. I'm going to play it in just a second. Please pick up the book. And please find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Pellegrino Danny. If you want to support this podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash everything iconic. Click the become a patron button for $4 more per month. You get access to all the bonus episodes. There's a new recap of an old Real Housewives of New York episode that I just put up there last week. There's also an exclusive interview with Katie Stevens from The Bold Type that I'm going to be putting up there. She uh, is one of the stars of Bold Type. She plays Jane, and that show's coming back next week. So there's an exclusive interview for you uh, from her over there. And what else? I'll be back with a Real Houses in New York recap later this week. So without further ado, let's get to this interview. We'll take a quick little break, and then we'll get to an interview with Ramin Satuta. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered showerhead. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, my listeners can use code EVERYTHINGICONIC, all together one word, at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. This episode is sponsored by Los Angeles Tourism. Now, y'all know I'm from the Midwest, but I've lived in California for so long, and I truly do love it here in LA. There's so much to do. My parents were just in town and said the same thing because we always have something to do when they visit. There's so much good food and drink here. There's lots of pop-ups, rooftop bars, year-round alfresco dining. I love being able to eat outside here all the time, but they really have so many different food options uh, that you can get all the time. Tons of great shopping and fashion. Uh, they just opened up a new shopping center right across the street from where we live. And it's just fantastic to be able to walk there. I love that. I love having the sun. I love the attractions, the studios, the lifestyle. You get all the Hollywood pop culture stuff that I certainly love so much. Uh, and also, you just get the wonderful weather. It's really a fantastic place. So I want to encourage you all to head to discoverla.com. Again, need more ideas for your next visit? Just head to discoverla.com. Ever since I saw Clueless, I wanted to have the most amazing wardrobe, and that includes all of the clothes inside the wardrobe closet, and that's why I'm excited to talk to you about Quince. Now, Quince has you covered with truly timeless pieces that never go out of style. You'll have them in your closet forever. Quince has all sorts of must-haves. I'm talking... 
Uh, Mongolian cashmere crew neck sweaters from $50. I have a blue cashmere crew neck sweater I got from them that I get so many compliments on all the time. I love it. Plus, iconic 100% leather jackets and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes us savings all over to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Love that. Makes you feel good about shopping with Quince. Uh, again, I've gotten a lot of stuff there. Just uh, good quality pieces and a lot of different options if you're looking to upgrade your wardrobe. So indulge in the affordable luxury. Go to Quince.com slash iconic for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash iconic to get free shipping and 365-day returns, quince.com slash iconic. I had this idea for a show. Different women. Different points of view. Maybe a little too different. We call it The View. All right, I'm here with Ramin Satuta, of course, the author of Ladies Who Punch, my book of the year. Ramin, how are you doing? <laughs> Thank you, Danny. Um, I'm good. This is my very, very first podcast interview, so I'm a little nervous, but I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, don't be nervous at all. I, I'm nervous because I am such a fan of this book. I, of course, you know from, from social media, I've been pestering you about this book because I'm such a huge View fan. So I've been so excited to read it, and it did not disappoint. You're one of the very first people that actually reached out to me because there was some confusion early on. People thought that um, different co-hosts were writing their own books or that it was like a collaboration between all the different co-hosts. And you were one of the first people that reached out to me and have championed the book. And so I'm really relieved that I didn't disappoint you, Danny, because it was important for me <laughs> that you like. And let me be honest, like I was really expecting to be let down because I just thought my expectations were so high. And then I still <laughs> felt like it was so wonderful. And just backing up, I remember hearing Joy, I believe she was on Watch What Happens Live, and she was saying that somebody was working on a book, and I was so excited. I think it was Sherry Sherry. who was on Watch What Happens Live, yes. And she said, we're all doing a book. And then I think it went on Twitter, and people thought that the co-hosts had come together to do a book together, um, versus that wasn't what it was. It was just me. And I've been working on this for the last three years, individually trying to reach and interview each co-host. So what made you want to do this? Have you always been a View fan? I've always been a fan of The View. Um, I've been a journalist for 15 years, writing about entertainment for Newsweek um, and now Variety. And the one topic that always consistently got the most readers and engagement online was always stories about The View. People are just curious about that show, its cultural impact what it represents, the fact that it's Hollywood, but also politics, strong women in Hollywood, feminism. I think it touches on a lot of different corners of our society. And um, I think when Rosie left the second time, I started thinking that I started seeing it as a book and started to put together a proposal and started um, reaching out to co-hosts to see who would talk to me. Yeah, And do you have an easy time getting the co-hosts to agree to it? No, it was so much harder than even I thought it would be because I'd interviewed, um, I did a cover story with Barbara Walters for Variety when she retired. I'd interviewed Rosie uh, three or four times um, you know, over the 
last 10 years. I'd interviewed um, Star when she left The View. I'd interviewed most of them, and I sort of knew them or had ways to get to them. But when you're writing a book, it's it's so much harder than writing an article. And I actually needed time with them and wanted to, you know, sit down with them and get their full reflections and recollections. And it was it was a, it was a really long journey and long process. Yeah, well, I was so surprised you got interviews with everyone except for Elizabeth and Whoopi. Right, those are the only two. Those are the two major co-hosts. There's been there's been a lot of co-hosts now, especially in the last few years. There was a lot of shuffling, but but I have I interviewed eleven of the co-hosts, and the two ones, the two that I really wanted to interview that I wasn't able to were uh, Whoopi and Elizabeth. And did you get close to interviewing them at all? Were they ever maybe on board, or what was the status? I was close to interviewing Whoopi when the book was announced. I saw Whoopi at the Oscars that year, and she um, came over and was really great and congratulated me and said that she was going to sit down and talk to me. Um, I don't know, to be honest with you, what happened because I, I corresponded with people on her team and emailed her directly and you know really tried to sit down with her. And it was really important for me to sit down with her. I, th- From what I understand, I think um, she was going to do it because she in her head thought she was going to leave The View and she made no secret of that. And then mm-hmm. when she decided to stay, she thought it would probably be um, best for her not to talk about everything that was going on behind the scenes. Right. Now, were there any other people like producers or any of those other kind of co-hosts that were shuffled through at the end or more recently that you wanted to talk to that you didn't get to? Um, not really. I don't know. Who did you want that I didn't have in the book? <laughs> I, I truly loved every, every one of them. Uh, I, I thought it was great. I just didn't know if there was maybe like a producer or, or someone behind the scenes. It was really important for me to talk to Bill Getty. He was the original produ- executive producer of the show. He started it with Barbara Walters in 1997, and he was probably the one, the person I interviewed um, at the uh, the most the, the most frequently. So we did several sit down interviews that were often over an hour, over months, and it was really really important for me to talk to him. And I think his voice comes through throughout the book. Now, we didn't hear from Elizabeth, but Elizabeth was on The View last week, and she responded to something that Rosie had said to you in one of your interviews. Did you see that appearance? I did see that appearance, yes. What'd you make of it? I thought it was... I thought it was confusing to me. I didn't understand... Her use of the word grooming traditionally means... Um, that's a word associated with sexual abuse and sexual harassment. And that clearly wasn't what Rosie was saying. She was saying she had a work crush on Elizabeth Hasselback and she liked her and she liked being around her and she enjoyed her. And so I thought her defense of it, um, was a little surprising and I would have liked to have talked to her and I tried to talk to her about it. Um, but it seemed like she took it to a different place than what Rosie was suggesting. Did you get? What do you think? Oh, I thought the same thing. I thought it was a weird response, and almost—I don't know if this is the right word—but almost a little bit aggressive uh, with her response. But I I have a hard time understanding Elizabeth in general. I think she um, she truly doesn't want to have anything to do with Rosie. She wrote a book where she didn't mention Rosie at all, and I think I think that she didn't want to talk about Rosie, and then was forced to talk about her. But I agree with you. I think her answer was misinformed and kind of confusing. I wondered if she didn't talk to you because she was writing her own book, which was called Point of View, which I think a lot of View fans expected there to be more View scoop in there, particularly because of the connection (laughs) to the title. 
<laughs> with the title? So, I don't so I don't know what I don't know like I don't know what her process was like, but I'm just gonna tell you what my process was like, which was I reached out to her like three or four times, maybe even more over email. And there was one point in the middle where she was not responding to me. And I said to her over email something to the effect of like, this book will be the definitive story of The View. Like there are stories about you in this book. I think you'll want to respond. Mm -hmm. And then shortly thereafter, she announced she was writing a book. So I don't know if they're connected, but I did find it a little strange that she was silent, silent, silent. And then in the middle of my book, she decided she was going to write a book. Um, and obviously not, didn't talk to me for my book. Was there ever any pushback from Disney or ABC? Like, did you ever hear anything from them about, uh, anything while this book was being written? There was, I didn't go initially. I didn't go through Disney and ABC. I went, um, I started, uh, with Barbara Walters and I started with the co-hosts individually. And a lot of the co-hosts I reached out to were no longer employed by, um, ABC or Disney. And then eventually when I, um, told Disney about it. They cooperated with the book and they um, helped schedule interviews with some of the current co-hosts that are on the show, like Joy and Megan McCain, who is actually a very good friend of mine. And we were friends before I started, before she was on The View, I started writing this book and she was always very supportive of it. Disney also allowed me to talk to her and some of the other producers and co-hosts on the show that are on that right now. What, uh, what I found so interesting was that they ABC wouldn't be upset because there were some things in the book. I mean, Yashar with Huffington Post, he detailed some of the misconduct that was in the book. He wrote about that recently. So I was just a little bit surprised that ABC allowed so much dirt to get in this book. Well, it wasn't, the information wasn't coming from ABC. It was coming from mm -hmm. employees who work there. Right. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't like they had control over, because this is not an authorized book. It's not like ABC got to read it or approve it or you know, control what I was putting in it. It was up to me. And I think they felt that if they had an open dialogue with me, at least the book would be fair, which I think it is. I think having voices represented from, you know, current executives makes the book more balanced and fair. And I think they're a news organization. And I think they, they saw the value in participating in journalism. Now, do you have a favorite co-host? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I think this, I think the person who was the most interesting on the show was Rosie O'Donnell during her first um, tour of duty in 2006, 2007. I think what she did was she completely changed the template for the show. Um, she made it edgy. She made it political. She made it very, very relevant. And what she did to The View kind of propelled it and turned it into what it became even after she left. I think if it had stayed in the way that it was, which was like, it was it was more it was a safer show it was a quieter show it was a kinder show but it was also not as passionate i don't know if it would have survived for 22 years did you watch uh, rosie's original talk show oh of course it was my favorite thing to watch growing up mine too um in california i would watch it every day after high school in your opinion what makes rosie so watchable because i feel like even people who disagree with her politics still would watch the view particularly when you know the the first tenure just to see what she was going to say i think that she is one of the most talented people on earth when it comes to to television and understanding what people want to watch on tv also being relatable um i remember watching her original talk show and so much of what so she influenced our culture in so many different ways from you know being one of the first people to ever interview JK Rowling in the United States to making the Tickle Me Elmo doll the sold out toy of the holiday season to you know bringing Broadway into daytime TV no one used to like 
think that that could be possible. I just think she was a very influential tastemaker and very intelligent about producing TV. Now, have you heard from Rosie since uh, the book has been in the press a lot lately? And I, I think she said something about it on maybe her Instagram live or something like that. Have you heard from her? She's made some public um, comments. Um, I DM'd her and we had a back and forth, but we haven't had any lengthy discussions, no. Now, my only, this is like a super minor complaint because I love the book so much and it's just because I wanted more, but there wasn't a lot about the Raven, Candace, Michelle Collins, Jed years. Like they were sort of, <laughs> you know, glossed, glossed over a little bit. And I wondered, was there anything from those years that you learned that maybe couldn't, didn't make the book just because it was already so vast? The reason, okay, so the reason I don't go into those years in depth Although there's a paperback edition, and if you feel strongly and your re- listeners feel strongly, maybe I could sort of add more. But the reason oh, I didn't go into those, <laughs> the reason I didn't go into those years in depth, because to me this was really a story about the three women who defined the View, which were Barbara Walters, Rosie Donnell, and Whoopi Goldberg. And I think sort of the end that I always envisioned of this book was Rosie's second exit, where the View's sort of the keys to the kingdom were in Whoopi's hands. Mm. There was stuff that happened, obviously, during the sort of Michelle Collins, Raven, et cetera, years, but it wasn't, it was just chaos every single day. And ABC News was trying to figure out how to get the show to work, and they were very unhappy with um, Michelle Collins and with Raven because they didn't feel like the show's working with either of them. You know, I always say that Michelle is the most underrated, in my opinion. I felt like she was so funny, almost too quick-witted for that show, if that makes sense. And so I always loved her. I felt like she got not really a fair shake. Were there any co-hosts throughout the years that you feel like were underrated or deserved more time, maybe? Well, what happened with Michelle um, talking to producers was that she was hired. And then over the summer hiatus, when she was supposed to begin her first full season, um, ABC decided to bring back Joy. So Michelle and Joy, um, there was a lot of conflict between the two of them backstage. And Michelle, Michelle was always feeling like, and Joy was always feeling like that. You know, that it was duplicative. Like they were like, they both had the same job, which was to like tee up punchlines and be funny. And so there was a kind of um, tug of war between the two of them. And ABC backed Joy and wanted Joy. You know, obviously Joy was such a beloved co-host for so long. And so I think that is the reason why Michelle didn't work out on the show. Uh, how about any other co-host throughout <laughs> the years? Was there someone that you really love that you think maybe deserved more time? That's a um, good question. Um, I think Nicole Wallace. I think Nicole Wallace would have been better on the show if ABC had given her a second season. I think that she. It was interesting because there was this pendulum where the network couldn't decide if the show would be political or not political, and so they fired her right before the Trump election and she would have been a huge asset and they brought in candace cameron beret who actually even though she's conservative doesn't didn't know very much about politics and i think if they had given uh nicole wallace another season maybe she would have grown into the seat a little more and i think that Whoopi felt the same way she was heartbroken when abc fired nicole yeah and didn't they try to keep her on for like one day a week or something like that they wanted her yes they wanted to they demoted her from a regular co-host to one day a week which would have i think been on fridays and nicole was like, life's too short, and walked away. Is there someone that you think was a terrible fit? <laughs> like someone, not necessarily a bad person or anything, but that just wasn't a fit for The View? Um, talking to, do you want my personal opinion or what the producers think? Your opinion. And well, both, both. I think that, well, I think the answer 
I think Paula Ferris ended up not being right for the show. I think mm-hmm. ABC thought that she would be a little more opinionated and she's conservative and they thought she'd be more outspoken and she ended up kind of I think the challenge for a lot of co-hosts that come from news is that they're not used to telling their opinion. And so I don't think she felt free to be fully opinionated on the show. And so as a result of that, she was kind of boring. Yeah, she was my least favorite throughout the years out of everyone. And she tested, I think, the worst um, when you looked at ABC's um, market research. Interesting. Now, do you think Rosie will ever return? Like, do you think there's any glimmer of hope that she might possibly return? (laughs) I think that if she wanted to return, she could because TV is so fragmented now and she has such a strong audience and fan base. I think it would just it would depend on what the vehicle was. Um, When I talked to her, I, I, I had lunch with her the second time she was coming back and she was talking about how hard it was one person to carry a talk show so it made sense for her to come back to the view because it was on an ensemble and she would you know there wasn't there weren't many other options but i do think if there i mean there was at one point she was going to go and do a show on msnbc like she's played around with all these different things i think that if the stars align she could find the right vehicle to come back but i also don't know if she wants to come back and be Mm -hmm. sort of a daily presence in people's homes and now there were so many bombshells in the book and one of the most interesting to me was a, a current casting thing where you said that when it was thought that Whoopi might leave, that ABC wanted to go back to Meredith Vieira and get Meredith Vieira back in there. Yes, this is exclusive to your podcast because no one else has talked about it. Oh uh, <laughs> yes, there was um, there was a point where Whoopi was signaling to everyone on staff that she was ready to leave The View. And I think she even went on Wendy Williams and basically suggested that she was about to go. She was going to finish her contract and then she was going to leave. And ABC reached out to Meredith Vieira to see if she'd be interested in returning as the moderator because they needed a new moderator. And then Whoopi ended up deciding to stay. But it would have been, I think, huge. I mean, I think it would have dramatically changed the show because the show is so much of Whoopi Goldberg if Meredith had returned as the moderator. Yeah, I would have loved. I mean, I would have loved to see it. It was exciting to me. What do you make of the current panel? What do you think of it right now? Um, I think that the show is good now. I think that Megan is the only Republican that they've managed to hire since Elizabeth, who's an actual Republican and actually has a different point of view. I think the show struggled um, in the post-Elizabeth years because there was no real conservative on the show. And so I think that there needs to be a conservative. There needs to be the Republican at the table to disagree with the other ladies because that's the format that's worked for the show. And I think that the ratings are... um, back up people are watching and also given everything that's happening right now in the news and donald trump there aren't there still aren't that many places on television where you can just hear women talk about politics i think the current panel is fantastic and i do agree that we need megan there because there just needs to be differing voices and there has been a lot of eras where everyone was just sort of agreeing and that doesn't work well for the view in my opinion 100 percent. like when jedediah was on she would even though she was supposed to be the conservative, she would just agree with everyone. Mm-hmm. And you never really had political debates on the show. Right. Like true political debates where you could tell that in her heart, Jedediah disagreed with Joy and Whoopi. Now, Sarah recently left the panel to do her own show with Michael Strahan. I wonder, did you hear anything about ABC wanting to keep her for The View? Or was, was that always just an okay transition? Sarah's transition 
was prompted actually by an executive who no longer is at ABC named Ben Sherwood. And Ben Sherwood always wanted a third hour of GMA. It was his number one dream so he could compete with today. And so he devised this way to get Michael Strahan to leave Kelly Ripa's show and brought Michael Strahan into GMA and then tried to spin Michael Strahan into the third hour of GMA. And they recruited Sarah to do that. Um, so that's how that happened. It was sort of a series of dominoes. How about Barbara? When's the last time you talked to Barbara? The last time I saw Barbara was in 2016. Um, we had lunch near her house and it was, uh, it was before the election. She wished me well on the book and gave me an interview. And I had spoken to her um, on several other occasions prior to that for when she was retiring for lengthy interviews. Um, but the last time I talked to her was uh, two and a half years ago. And there's obviously been a lot of rumors about her health. How was her health? I mean, this was two and a half years ago, but how was she doing in 2016? She um, was fine in 2016. She seemed to be enjoying retirement. She seemed to, she was very relaxed. She had just had um, a meal with an old friend. Um, she was in good spirits. She made jokes. She was, um, she was in a good place when, the last time I saw her. Now, were there any other feuds or details that you just couldn't fit in the book or things that maybe just were, weren't as significant enough to include that super fans of The View might enjoy? Um, <laughs> there's so much, Danny. I have, I mean, I've interviewed 150 people for this book. I have, if you were to come I here to my, my apartment, I have like, like binders of transcripts and notes and that's like porn know. for me like i want to read all of it <laughs> i want to read it all i'm not you kidding the, i was up late you want the unedited version i was up so late reading this book because i did not want to put it down i loved it so much i'm trying to think of something i didn't put in there i put all the good stuff in there that's the truth all the all the good bombshells are in the book i didn't hold back now the title ladies who punch i wonder did you ever get any pushback from that or did you ever have any other titles that you were thinking about because it is it's a great play on words and stuff, but I could understand how some women might find it a little bit troubling. Right. We went, uh, my publisher and I went back and forth on the title for a really, really long time. It was one of the last things that we decided on. I completely agree with you that if sort of taken out of context, you could think that this wasn't a, this wasn't a celebratory way of, of ta a take on the Elaine Stritch song, mm -hmm. but, but I wanted to make sure that the cover and the way the cover looked would indicate that this is a celebration of these women and that this book wasn't this book wasn't like making fun of the view this book was a real piece of reporting that i spent three years on to actually get to the truth of what happened on this show and i think that the way it looks now i'm really really happy with it and i don't think when you look at it it looks like in any way disrespectful to the women how long do you think whoopi will stay whoopi's contract um goes until 2020 one of the other bombshells, I mean, I don't want to give too much away because it's so thrilling, but one of the other things I loved was reading that they were considering, or, or, or maybe the offer went out to Elizabeth before they ended up uh, getting Abby in there. Yes. So they wanted, so The View wanted Elizabeth to be a second Republican to join Megan at the table. Um, and they, may, they, they asked her if she'd be interested in coming and Elizabeth declined. And then they chose Abby. Will The View be having you on to talk about this book at all, or are they? do you think they're just not interested at all? That's a good question, Danny. I think that all your listeners should call in and ask them that. Um, I think our, my publisher um, reached out to them and asked, and 
uh, I don't think that they have any plans. What I do think is really strange was that um, last week they, when they, when Elizabeth was on, they were talking about my book, but then Sunny didn't mention she she quoted my book, but didn't mention the quote came from my book. Mm-hmm. She made it seem like Rosie O'Donnell had issued a statement out of thin air um, about Elizabeth, and so that was a little strange to me because ABC news is a news organization and they usually attribute reporting. Um, but I would love to go on the show if they would have me. It would be thrilling to have you on. And because so many of the co-hosts did give you interviews and statements, like it seems like a slam dunk, like have you on to talk about the show. Right. And the show and the spirit of the show that Barbara Walters created is not a show that ever shies away from controversy. They always embrace the truth and allow people to speak their own minds and opinions. Yeah. Would you do a book similar to this on another talk show or, you know, I like, I'd love to see something on the Rosie O'Donnell show. I know you had a whole chapter dedicated to it, which was thrilling to me, but <laughs> I mean, I feel like this similar, a similar format could fit, you know, something like live with, you know, live or like with Kelly and uh, Ryan now, but, um, or, you know, Wendy Williams or anything really. I mean, I would love to write a second book. Um, this was so much work that I think I need some time. But also, I think this this book was such a blessing, but also such a it was so difficult because there isn't really any other show that's lasted this long that has had so much turnover. So there were periods throughout, like in the middle of the process, where I was just like, I'm never going to get to the end because there's so many co-hosts. So I think if I were to do a different show, maybe I would do one with fewer people because I learned how hard that is. Um, and that's why it took so long for me to to sort of get all the people that I needed. You know, I mentioned Joy on Watch What Happens Live at the beginning of this podcast, and I just it just came to me. I remember she was talking about how she kept a journal throughout the Rosie years, and she had said maybe she'll publish it one day. And I wondered, did you get access to any of those journals, or do you know anything about that? <laughs> <laughs> she didn't mention it. No, she mentioned that to Andy, I think, after I talked to her. I don't have access to Joy's journals, but I do. This is a fun story. This is a really fun story that as a Rosie O'Donnell show fan that um, I, I think that I'm curious to hear what you think. So when Rosie O'Donnell was leaving her show after six seasons, they were trying to get someone to replace her. And actually one of the people that they thought of was Joy. This was in 2002. Um, and Joy turned it down. But I do wonder if the Rosie O'Donnell show would have continued on as the Joy Behar show, if they hadn't, they went, they ended up with Caroline Ray and that didn't work and was canceled after one season. But I, I kind of, in a game of what if, like, I don't know, what do you think? Do you think she would have been able to keep it going? You know, I certainly think she might have been able to do more episodes than Caroline Ray, although I do love Caroline Ray, justice for Caroline Ray, but <laughs> I. But I she don't wasn't know. dead as Rosie O'Donnell. She couldn't, no one, I guess no one could no. really fill Rosie's shoes. That was the problem. But I always say this. I feel like. Rosie O'Donnell show's presence is missing right now. Like Rosie had such an affinity for pop culture. And I talk about this a lot and I mention it a ton of times on my show, but I feel like her excitement and uh, her excitement over celebrity and pop culture is missing. And I feel like the only one who sort of maybe kind of does that is Andy Cohen. And he's still much more snarky. And I, I would argue he's just, he talks to people more as peers rather than Rosie when she would have a celebrity on during her talk show. She was so excited to talk to Bette Midler or Mary Tyler Moore because she was such a huge fan. It was like a fan talking to celebrity. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. But I also kind of think that she created this entire genre that we now have with James Corden or Jimmy Fallon and Andy Cohen. And like, if you look at a lot of talk show hosts now, they're so much more comfortable 
professing their love for their guests. And you didn't really have that before Rosie, not in the way that she, you know, she was a super fan and, and this was before the internet. So there really weren't like, we didn't even know what super fans were. Like there was no place for super fans to go and all like talk and, you know, tweet and like hang out. And she provided that outlet for people. I do have, I do have, um, if you want, I'll send it to you. I do have some old episodes of the Rosie Donald show where joy is hosting because Rosie was out sick or I think she had a, I think she was out sick and joy came in and filled in. And this is my favorite part of the whole thing is that 45 minutes into the show, she has to leave to go do the view. So she's like, okay, bye. I'll see you guys later. And Rosie's writer, Jeanette Barber closes the show. Cause joy had to get like in a car oh and drive uptown and go host the view with Barbara Walters. It's amazing. Will you please send those to me? Like yes. I die. Oh, I die. <laughs> you know, I think joy is just so perfect for the view. Like, I don't know. I don't know that I even would want, she's just, She's perfect on The View, and I think that's why it works with her coming back. They needed her back. Oh, 100%. And they, ABC knew, and Joy talks about being fired in the book. ABC knew they made a mistake when they lost Joy. And um, bringing her back, I think, is one of the reasons why the ratings started to go back up. Well, I just love this show so much. And I always say, after 20-some years, it's still making headlines. Like, you could still open up CNN.com or or Yahoo News, or wherever you get your news from, and you could see stories about the current panel on The View, and like, what show on TV is doing that after 20 years? It's just an amazing feat. Most shows don't even last now for like two seasons. It's just TV is such a competitive landscape. And also, I would say that The View really predicted so much of what we see now. Like, when you watch CNN, it looks like The View. Or when you watch, you know, our, the news... Anchors are very comfortable talking about their opinion. And when Barbara Walters started The View in 1997, that was a huge taboo. You weren't allowed to say what you thought if you were a reporter. And so I think she says in the book, like, we didn't, we created a new format. And I completely agree with that. I think she is responsible or like The View was ahead of the curve for so much of our culture right now. No, I told you I was going to let you go, but now I want to ask you one more thing. <laughs> My favorite view moment is, of course, the infamous split screen between Elizabeth and Rosie. Did you learn anything else? I mean, there's a lot of stuff about that in the book, um, but anything yeah, you so could here's, tell us? Yeah, so let's go through the day. Let's talk about that day. So Rosie and Elizabeth, this, was at the, this is 2007, May of 2007, and Rosie and Elizabeth have been having a hard time on The View. And they started out as really good friends and they, and Elizabeth was like very close to Rosie. And, you know, after all those months, their friendship sort of was slowly deteriorating and Rosie's announced that she's leaving, but she hasn't left yet. She was supposed to leave in that summer, but she hasn't left yet. And a lot of the guests that were on the show or some of the guests that were on the show in the run up to that told me that they could tell there was so much tension between the two of them. Um, uh, David Tutora, who was Star Jones's wedding planner, who's you know there is sort of a, a, to do a, a, a sorry, let me say that again. David Tutora, who um, is an events coordinator, was there, and he said that the two of them weren't making eye contact um, one day. I think it was like the day before their fight, and so Rosie believes that the split screen was a conspiracy um, to take her down or to embarrass her on TV. I asked her like how that conspiracy happened and she didn't quite have an answer. She just thought it was a conspiracy. Um, the show's director, Mark Gentile said that he was in the control room. There was another um, employee with him 
they have this split screen teed up from the day before because Rosie's mother-in-law had been in the audience. And so because they kept going back and forth, Mark was like, why don't we just, like, he agreed to allow the producer to try that. And they did it. And Rosie just sort of never forgave them for it and left the show as a result of it. Um, did I answer your, yeah, your questions? Yeah, or do you I, want- <laughs> I, I find that episode so thrilling. I still watch it on YouTube, like, once a year at least. <laughs> I've shown that episode to people. And I'm like, because, you know, some people have never seen it or, like, don't understand the intensity. Of, like, my first book editor on this book had never seen it. And I was like, you just need to watch. Like, and people, even now when they watch it, they're completely shocked by by the fact that that happened on television and it was live. I did an episode of my show about the Rosie O'Donnell show, and I was talking to H. Allen Scott, and he was saying how interesting it was that during that fight, Rosie says, you know, I'm not going to fight with you because then the media spins it and it's big, fat, lesbian Rosie, you know, going after poor Elizabeth. And we had talked about how interesting it was at that time for someone to be on TV, an out lesbian on TV saying, you know, the words, the media is going to spin it because that's what would happen with Rosie a lot of the times. And it was just interesting because TV wasn't the place it was, or TV back then wasn't where it is now. Uh, But she was a very out, open, proud lesbian woman on TV. And it was a huge... In the New York Times review, when Rosie O'Donnell comes back to The View in 2006, um, the the critic notes that she is a marked contrast to Ellen. Because even though Ellen you know, is out and what has, was out at the time, Rosie was very open about the fact that she was gay and brought it up often on the view. Like it wasn't like she, she avoided that word. It wasn't like she tried to conform. It wasn't that like she was trying to, you know, pretend that she wasn't gay when she was on the view. And so I completely agree with you. What she did was groundbreaking. Yeah. And I was in college at the time and I was a closeted gay man. And I remember seeing this woman on TV who I had loved since I was a child and just being so open with her sexuality, not necessarily throwing it in your face, but being so comfortable with it. And that was, that was important for my own kind of self identification, if you will. I a hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. What do you think she should do next? Do you, what do you think would fit Rosie? Well, I don't know. I think it's hard because I think that, um, she doesn't like the media attention. And I do think that the media can often be hard on her because she'll say something and the headlines will all focus on, you know, what she said. And I mean, her, her frustration with the view is that she felt as if she would make an argument and then the media would take something she said and spin it in a way that she didn't mean it. And so she had camera crews from Entertainment Tonight and Access Hollywood like waiting for her everywhere, trying to get her to comment on what she had said. So I think that I truly think she doesn't like the spotlight and doesn't want that kind of attention. And she told that to me the second time she went back. So I think it would have to be something where she isn't constantly, you know, engaged in the news. But I also think that's where she's best because she has such smart takes on everything. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult question. I don't think I can answer that question. Honestly, Danny, I think, I think that, you know, she's, she did Smelf, and I think she was great on it. Um, and I wish it had another season because I'm a huge fan of the show. Me but too. I wouldn't mind seeing her. You know, I think it'd be interesting seeing her as an actress and seeing her in more roles. 
I just watched the Smilf finale, uh, and it's it was phenomenal. And I'm I I'm sad it that it's, I'm sad that it's not gonna go on, but you'll like it. It's it's great. she should have been nominated for an Emmy for oh, that right. first season. Like she's so good in that show that I think, like I think that maybe Emmy voters didn't see it, but it's it's a really good performance. I mean, thank you so much for chatting with me. As such a I'm such a View fan, and what was so interesting about your book is that there have been these rumors about certain things that happen behind the scenes for years that View fans have wondered about, and I feel like your book gave confirmation to a lot of those and then shed new light on those uh, rumors and things that we all maybe speculated about. But then I also think there was like a whole slew of things that I had no idea about that I was reading and just surprised and I found your book thrilling and I loved it. And thank you for the work because as a View fan, it was phenomenal. Oh, thank you, Danny. I really, really appreciate it. And again, you were like one of the first people to champion the book. So I'm I'm excited that this was my first podcast interview. Well, my pleasure. And thank you for coming on the show. And I hope, you know, you take a nice long rest. And then I hope you do another book on live with Regis and Kelly, Regis <laughs> Kathy Lee, like that whole era. <laughs> well, for now, I'd like to just take a little time to enjoy <laughs> the view. No, please take a little time. And I'm sorry for pestering you about more work. But, uh, <laughs> thank you so much. And I want to encourage everyone to pick up Ladies Who Punch. It's on Kindle. Who's did, there's an audiobook too. Who did the audiobook? There's, I did it, but I haven't heard it yet. So I don't know if I should tell people to listen to that yet, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, read it, listen to it. Where can people find you on social media? I'm um, on Twitter as Ramin Satuda. Thank you, Ramin. That's my full name. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Have a good one. Thank you very much. Okay. Icons, I'm sure I've mentioned this many a time on the show, but I use DoorDash all the time, and I'm sure so many of you are right there with me. When you need a meal, you hop on DoorDash. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about DoorDash's Dash Pass. It's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered to your door, helping you save lots of money, lots of time with every one of your DoorDash orders. So it's really a big saver with $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on your eligible orders. Dash Pass makes it super easy to save on restaurants or retail items, groceries, all your local favorites that deliver on DoorDash. Because I don't just get my meals. I also get a lot of groceries. You can get, again, retail items, local stuff. Dash Pass, too, pays for itself in just two orders on average, making delivery even more worth it. Plus, Dash Pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, all for just $9.99 a month. So get more from your delivery for less. Sign up for Dash Pass today only on DoorDash. Use code ICONIC24. That's ICONIC24 and get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Subject to change, terms apply. Again, use code ICONIC24 and get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Icons. 
Did you ever watch True Blood? I was obsessed. I thought the men on that show, Alexander Skarsgård, Ryan Quanton, I was in love with him when that show was airing. And I thought it was just so good. And so that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the new season of the Truest Blood podcast. The Truest Blood podcast is fantastic. If you haven't listened before, it's hosts Kristen Bauer and Deborah Ann Wall, who rewatch and tell true stories from the set of HBO's iconic series, True Blood. They discuss the episodes, the blood, both fake and real, and all the sexy bites in between. And this season of the podcast, they cover seasons three and four of True Blood, uh, where there's more werewolves, witches, and vampire royalty on the show. Plus, they have really great people who worked behind the scenes of the show coming on and talking about the show. Lots of that to come. I think we're all pop culture junkies here. And one of the things that I love about pop culture is seeing how the sausage is made. And so I think that's why we're all going to be so excited to listen to the Truest Blood podcast. So check it out. uh, And also check out the show True Blood. Watch all episodes of True Blood on Max and listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.